Will you join with us in singing the processional hymn, hymn number 77, How Great Thou Art, found in the Methodist hymnal in your pews.
You may be seated. Dying, Christ destroyed our death. Rising, Christ restored our life. Christ will come again in glory. As in baptism, Charles David Thompson put on Christ. So in Christ, may David be clothed with glory. Here and now, dear friends, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death because I live you shall live also. Friends, we have gathered here to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of David. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. May God grant us grace that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, and in death, resurrection. Will you join me as we go to God in prayer? O oh God, who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. You know our needs before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live, so that living or dying, our life may be in you, and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I invite Phyllis now to come and share with us in the Apostles' Creed. It was during an away game some years ago that David and I visited a chapel on our opponent's campus. The, the final score was unfortunate. The win of the day was the impact that that chapel's display had. Seminary students there had a series of icons regarding the Apostles' Creed. The experience stayed with me, and David and I decided to use Barclay's commentary on the Creed as the basis for a series in our much-loved lectionary Sunday school class. It was very unusual for us to veer from the Scripture, but we did Barclay's study. Studying and discussing each word and phrase introduced David and me to a new level of theological discussion, and really it entered 
in, for us into a season where we discussed our lesson plans more frequently. Through that, I learned more about what David thought, challenged what I thought, and obviously learned about scripture and about words because David and I were talking. I also knew how David believed. David believed this historic affirmation of faith as I do. And this is what is going to enable me to face tomorrow, knowing that he has life everlasting and joy beyond any hopes I had for my David in his retirement. I invite you to join me in reciting this Apostles' Creed. It is in your bulletin, and if you are not already familiar with it, I ask you to take the bulletin and spend some time with it later. I am going to say it boldly. You say it as however it has been yours to know. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker in heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Old Testament lessons come from Psalm 92 and Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. Would you hear now the word of God? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The dullard cannot know. The stupid cannot understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For your enemies, O Lord, for your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap, showing that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And then our text from Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, 
He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Our next hymn is Be Still, My Soul, hymn number 534 in your hymnal. Will you stand as you're able and join us as we sing?
Good morning. I am glad you're here. This is a special service, a reminder that death has been defeated, and David now knows it in its fullness. Phyllis called me first part of the week. She said, the one thing I really want you to do is to do the benediction. We'll, we'll, we'll do that at the end of the service. And then she said, well, if you want to say a few words, and I very quickly said, no, don't want to do that. I'll be fine with the benediction. But as, as we moved through the rest of the week, it became very heavy on my heart that I needed to do this. And I'm doing this for Phyllis and David. Because you see, they're one. Their, their life is experienced as one. Now, when we moved here, we moved in the year 2000. Uh, we moved into Pittman Park. And right down the boulevard, the boulevard, that's just not far. And David and Phyllis were just a few houses further over. So we were close, got to be close. And the first story I want to tell you has to do with football. If you didn't know, David and Phyllis were football fans. I don't, I don't know if they're quite compared to me, but they're close. And they very, um, they, they overwhelmed us because they, they called up and invited Matthew and I to go to the football game, the first game of the season. And guess who they were playing? Georgia. So that means traveling to Athens, Georgia. It had been a while since I had been to Athens, so we decided we, that'd be good. Matthew, our, old, our son, at that moment was a Georgia fan. I mean, a Georgia fan. So th that was early in the summer. It came to September. It's football season is now we had to start. And, of course, the first game, we had to travel to Athens. Matthew was overwhelmed. I mean, he was so excited about going to the football game. And we got to where the bus was going to leave, and we walked on the bus, and I was wearing blue, but he was red and black. He stood out on that bus because he was the only one in red and black. Uh, I will tell you, he is now a Georgia Southern fan. <laughs> he lives here. He lives and dies Georgia Southern uh, sports. The other story I wanted to share with you is one of the un unbelievable things that happened here at Pittman Park while I was here. And I was sort of involved in that. Many people didn't even know what was going on. Uh, about halfway through my ministry, I, I was at that point a lectionary preacher. So every week, uh, we, I would preach something from the lectionary. And we, I don't know how it worked out, uh, but David and Phyllis and I decided I started teaching in lectionary Sunday school class. And we, we met across the hall from the main office. 
And you could probably see 10 or 12 people if you stuck them in there with a shoehorn. So uh, we started. And it grew to that 10 and 12, and that was kind of the number we would have. And it was a good, it was a good group. You know, a really great group of, of people. We, I, I, grew, I grew to love, uh, love that class because talking to lectionary allowed me to get that in my mind. Um, well, time to leave. And you know what preachers think about Sunday school classes that they're a part of, they're going to fall apart when I leave. And that's exactly what I thought. I thought they would go for a while and then they, they would fall to the wayside. Well, wait a minute. Give me uh, eight years later. Uh, I, I retired. Uh, we moved to Claxton. And so periodically, since our children still are here, we come over to Pittman Park. Well, the, the, the first Sunday we come in, we actually make it for the Sunday school hour, and the lectionary class is going. Great guns. I found they didn't need me. <laughs> I mean, I discovered that fact. They were having 24, 25, 26. That's how God works, though, isn't it? Sometimes we don't understand God is the one in control of what he wants to have happen in his church. That's what I wanted you to know. God worked through David and Phyllis and gave us a gift, a gift that we ever so often come over from Claxton and participate in because it warms my very soul to know it's something I had a part of starting is still going strong. They don't need me. They got each other. And that's the power of the church, isn't it? That's what, that's what David knew. We celebrate his life and understand that God is at work in our lives. Amen. <coughs> One of the great blessings of being pastor here at Pittman Park uh, right now is that, that Mike and Melinda do live close enough to come and to participate. And I love this man so much as I know that you all do. I'm trying to look like him, actually. I, uh, <laughs> Mike, I have such respect for you and I am so grateful that not only you set that class in motion, but that you get to participate in that class as well. Two other passages of Scripture, these taken from the New Testament that I would like to bring before us today, from Romans 8, and not taken from the most familiar verse perhaps, not 28, but at the end of that section, um, we will look at the 38th and the 39th verses. And so listen carefully uh, to the Apostle Paul's reflections. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then, out of respect for the reading of a gospel passage, would you stand with me? <clears throat> As I read from John chapter 20, an encounter that Jesus had with the disciple Thomas, the 24th through the 29th verses. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> We are here to celebrate the life of David Thompson and to remember the goodness of God that surrounds us in life and in death. Advent and Christmas is a season for remembering. You know this. You may have been at such a hectic pace that you were not conscious on the surface but in your interior being, you know that this is a season for remembering, a season for searching out our story in the midst of the meta-story, the larger story, the larger truth that we find both in Scripture and our personal encounters with God. This can be, it can be a time that is filled with much joy. Let me tell you, my house right now is invaded with grandchildren. And it is a place of joy, not constantly, but it is a place of joy. But it also, <clears throat> as some of you are very aware, this is a season that can be filled with sorrow. I find it interesting that more and more churches 
are gathering on the longest night of the year. You may have seen some marquees with the words of invitation, join us for our blue Christmas, which would have been held on December the 21st, the night of the 21st, which wraps itself into the morning of the 22nd. It is a hedge against darkness to come together in prayer. You know that, don't you? To remember the goodness of God. David died on the longest night of the year. And I have not yet fully accepted it. Across much time, through a skilled team of physicians, and if any of you are here in the congregation, let me tell you that I admire the work of medicine that you perform. Through a skilled team of physicians, and an incredible personal tenacity and resilience in a man named David. And the grace of God, he had many remarkable recoveries that I, I think along with some of you, began to anticipate as a normal part of his healing process. You've been praying. You've been praying. And you know this. David loved World War II and all things associated with the greatest generation. And that quote by Winston Churchill was one that he greatly embraced. Never give up. Never give up. And he, he over and over again, rose to the occasion when it seemed that all was lost. He did not give up. And he surprised us one time after another. I had seen this one <clears throat> whose neck could never quite fill up his collar. <clears throat> A, a year ago, just over a year ago, I, I saw him um, so swollen with fluid that his body was not able to process that he was unrecognizable. I thought I was in the wrong room. He was unrecognizable because he was so large. And he... He bounced back. And the day of his coming around, Phyllis led me out of the ICU waiting and back to that chamber in which he was residing. And she was saying to me as we stepped back that direction, he's even said a few words. And I thought, this is amazing. I cannot believe that he is still with us. And we walked into the room and she pointed so that I would wash my hands at the sink. And so I was, 
take suggestions well. And so I, I was standing there and I was washing my hands and, and I was drying my hands with the paper towels. And from over my shoulder, I hear this voice of David saying, I've been laying here in a coma only to wake up and find some Methodist preacher stealing my paper towels. <laughs> and I was so delighted. I could, not, I could not get over it when I turned around and he was looking, he was looking into my eyes. And it was just, it was just so overwhelming to see him alive and present. <clears throat> what wit he had. It was just three weeks ago when he made one of his astounding, and now we say, and last recoveries. I had peeked into the room when all was becoming quiet. He was completely ashen. I have never seen anyone more ashen than David was at that moment. He looked so much like death. The doctors were, the doctors were whispering to each other. They weren't saying anything. They were backing out of the room as Phyllis gracefully made her entrance into that space. And as she shares that she whispered to him, you make the choice, David. You make the choice. And he began to pink up right away. <laughs> and again, just a day later, he was communicating. Of course, he had the ventilator in, and it was assisting him with his breathing he could not speak, but he was so present, he was making all of these gestures to communicate, of course. And, and I walked into the room, and I didn't know how present he was going to be. I had seen a dead man on that bed. And he looked at me with such eyes of vibrance, and he was fully there, and I said to David, I said, I've never spoken these words to another guy before, David, but you look beautiful. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he cocked his head and shrugged his shoulders as if to say, what can I say, you know, what can I say? Always witty. In Isaiah, this passage that we considered just a few moments ago. There are these words that are an encouragement to me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I, I have always believed that any flame associated with God is a redemptive fire. We'll talk later about that sometime. 
For I am the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But I can tell you in regards to David, what I'm thinking is that Hodgkin's disease was a tough section of water to maneuver. And for 30 years after his diagnosis and even after his treatment, Sometimes the treatment is worse than the cure. I mean, the, the treatment is, is worse than the disease. The cure is worse than the disease. That the toll that was taken was immense. And I wonder how he was having this conversation with God. I will forever admire David's determination to regain ground the way that he returned home, and even though he couldn't walk up all the stairs, he would walk up several of the stairs in order to test himself every day. And then he surprised us all with being able not only to walk the stairs, but walk laps out on the trail beside his house. In fact, he was frustrated at not being able to make more progress but to me, I will always think he was amazing at the progress that he made. I like the beginning words of his obituary. <clears throat> David was a lover of words, an observer of human nature, and a tireless promoter of Georgia Southern. After graduating from Southern in 81 with a degree in journalism, it was expected that he would find employment with a newspaper. In fact, he found an employment with two at his hometown and here in Statesboro as well. But those stints were short, which was most fitting, because the place that he needed to be was on the campus. And he joined the media relations staff at Georgia Southern, dealing with news service and publications and even at times as an adjunct professor, he amassed 30 years at his alma mater. As the director of communications for university advancement, he endeared himself to many by polishing his and others' thoughts as this wordsmith. He became this wordsmith under the administration of five university presidents. Who else can say that? He wrote constantly and was good at it. And even in retirement, which is a hard thing to do, especially when you live so close, he had been asked to come back and to assist with particular projects. I wonder which of his projects was his favorite. I wouldn't be surprised to say the way in which I worded those signs that mark beautiful Eagle Creek. <laughs> Maybe you'll go and take a notice. In Psalm 92, there is this phrase, in old age, they still produce fruit. Now, David would interject and say, old age is relative. But he did produce fruit even in 
the latter part of his life, literally and figuratively. David loved his time outside in the yard. He loved his plants. He spoke to his plants. He was an au pair to his plants, tending the blooms and the fruit in their seasons. Even now, he would regale all of us with the fact that he has lemons growing on one of his trees beside the hearth. And the other one, which does not look in very good condition at all, he actually had said, give it some more time. He particularly delighted in lemons, ponderosa, myers, citrons. But his idea of never giving up ran deep within him. Part of the fruit that he bore was wisdom. David was a thinker, and if any of you have had conversations with him, you knew this. As Phyllis puts it, he knew what he thought. And for some people, that would mean that he was inflexible, but he was not inflexible. It was just that he had thought so much to consider what was before him. He did develop his ideas very well. He relished working out the details, whether it was listening to the police scanner and then texting Phyllis to make sure that she had gotten the latest news, whatever it may be. He, he was no casual observer. He was a journalist par excellence. He was cataloging, chronicling in his thoughts for future use. It's interesting, Phyllis, that you trusted yourself to lead us in the Apostles' Creed. And it means so much more to me knowing that you have done that now. In his reflections on the Apostles' Creed, he dealt with the words in particular and believed that somehow the Holy Spirit had gotten the short shift in the midst of these words of faith. There's not much mention. I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's no definition for what the Spirit is up to, except if you go back up to the first, I would point out to him that it says that our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, is laden with much thought and theology. I love the idea that he was living deeply. Did you know that he loved his family? He truly did. He spoke to me of how he loved his family. Those living and those who have gone before. And of course, Phyllis, most of all, 36 years of marriage. Phyllis, I've heard you say that David is your life and breath. Did you know that that works both ways? 
and that for David, you were his life and breath. What you call David's house is interesting because, frankly, I see it as this enormous tribute to you. It is your house because he wanted to make something that appeared, at least, a vestige of what you spent much time in, in Savannah. And everything purchased and put in its place was an expression of love for you. He was creating not just space, he was creating home. It is over in Romans that we read just a few moments ago the reflections of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and just to remind you of those words, in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is incredibly important for us to remember because it speaks to us not so much of our love toward God, which is important, it reminds us of God's love toward us. This is something that you and I cannot, we will never be able to undo. For this is at the very nature of God. And frankly, it permeates not only that relationship that we have with God, it permeates every relationship, even the relationships that we have with each other. David loved his church. But more important is that he loved God. And he knew that God loved him. He was our historian in residence. And his stories will remain for years and years to come as he told them to this congregation and especially to what we call starting point, a new members class. I had asked him back in August, if he would serve as our stewardship coordinator for 2019. He has backed out on that. <laughs> I had thought that it might be good rehab, and in fact, I thought that it would be incredible to see exactly what he could do with that job because of the work that he is in at Georgia Southern or has been in at Georgia Southern. David had been in worship so much, it was a pattern, even a habit. And he had the good grace of coming to tell me 
at one point a couple of years ago, he said, I'm going to take a short hiatus. I said, what? He said, from worship. He said, it has nothing to do with you. He said, it has a lot to do with me. He said, you won't see me here for a while. He said, I'll come back. He was taking a sabbatical. Some people take a sabbatical and never come back. He came back. A thinking man's sabbatical. Some of you knew that David grew up in St. Mary's, just a stone's throw from the marsh. And you've got Cumberland Island and Jekyll Island and St. Simon's Island, but it's all the same marsh. It's all the same marsh. And it comes to me, I wonder how well he might have known that poem by Sidney Lanier. Because as I've reviewed it, there are so many connections with his life. Not just the familiar part of that poem, but the earlier lines. And if David were here, if David were here, and by the way, I think he is here. I think he is here. I would say, David, sit down. I want to read this to you. I would have to call him in from outside because he would be wandering around and checking out the plants there. And when I finally got his attention, I would say, David, sit down. I want to read this to you. And he would say something, I'm sure. Nag, nag, that's all you preachers ever do. I would say, just listen. And I would read to him those timeless words, the wide sea marshes of Glen, beautiful glooms, soft dusks in the noonday fire, wildwood privacies, closets of lone desire, chamber from chamber parted with wavering auras of leaves, sails for the passionate pleasure of prayer to the soul that grieves. Pure with a sense of the passing of saints through the wood. Cool for the dutiful weighing of ill with good. My spirit is grown to a lordly great compass within that the length and the breadth and the sweep of the marshes of Glen will work me no fear like the fear they have wrought me of yore when length was fatigue and when breadth was but bitterness sore and when terror and shrinking and dreary unnameable pain drew over me out of the merciless miles of the plain. Oh, now, unafraid, I am fain to face the vast, sweet visage of space. With a step I stand on the firm-packed sand, free by a world of marsh, that borders a world of sea. Oh, what is abroad in the marsh and the terminal sea? Somehow my soul 
seems suddenly free from the weighing of fate and the sad discussion of sin by the length and the breadth and the sweep of the marshes of Glen. Ye marshes, how candid and simple and nothing withholding and free. You publish yourselves to the sky and offer yourselves to the sea. Tolerant plains that suffer the sea and the rains and the sun. Ye spread and span like the Catholic man who hath mightily won God out of knowledge and good out of infinite pain and sight out of blindness and purity out of stain. As the marsh hen secretly builds on the greatness of God, I will fly in the greatness of God as the marsh hen flies in the freedom that fills all the space twixt the marsh and the skies. By so many roots as the marsh grass sends in the side, I will heartily lay me a hold on the greatness of God. Oh, like to the greatness of God is the greatness within the range of the marshes, the liberal marshes of Glen. You would never know it, but in our fellowship hall, there is some graffiti that David put there. when the building was new to the point that the flooring had not even been put in place, he joined with many other members who inscribed with magic marker or paintbrush on the floor words of prayer and words of scripture. The passage of scripture that David inscribed there. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. What a foundation that is. What a foundation. Let us pray. God of love, we thank you for all with which you have blessed us even to this day, for the gift of joy and days of health and strength, and for the gifts of your abiding presence and promise in days of pain and grief. We praise you for home and friends and for our baptism and place in your church with all who have faithfully lived and died 
above all else. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus who knew our griefs, who died our death, and rose for our sake, and who lives and prays for us. And as he taught us, so now we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul though satan should buffet Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well it is well the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so, it is well with my soul. It is well.
soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Heads held high, eyes open. Oh God. God that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh God, the one who called David Thompson into being, gave him a name and a personality that touched us. He now leads us into new life. Hear the word. God calls you by name, and give you the chance to experience anew the fullness of life. Be prepared to go into the world and to share the good news that David Thompson is alive, that Jesus Christ makes it possible, and we experience the fullness of life in him. Go now in peace. May the peace of God remain with you always, now and forevermore. Amen.